0: And for those of us who are staying in, we're going to be turning to God's Word now. We are continuing our, our series in the, the book of Exodus and learning uh, from the, the encounter that, that Moses and the people of Israel were having. Today, the passage that we're turning to is um, between Exodus chapters 25, 26, and 27. That's three huge, big chapters. I'm going to cheat and I'm not going to read any of those Exodus uh, verses, but what I'm going to do is to get you now to turn to the New Testament commentary on those few chapters from Exodus. Uh, so this is actually, in other words, explaining what those chapters are about. So that New Testament passage is Hebrews chapter 9. And if you Turn to page 1206 in the Pew Bible. And what the the writer to the Hebrews actually does is that as well as giving a commentary about what those chapters in Exodus are really about, which is the the rules, regulations, the, the details about the tabernacle, the writer to the Hebrews also explains why what Jesus has done, where it's all pointing why it's so much better. So what Jesus has done is so much better because what the tabernacle was doing was always pointing ultimately to what Jesus was going to do. So let, please read with me in Hebrews chapter nine, which is comparing the the earthly tabernacle to the heavenly one, what Jesus has done for us. And may God use his word to speak to our hearts. Now, the first covenant had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. A tabernacle was set up. In its first room were the lampstand and the table with the consecrated bread. This was called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place, which had the golden altar of incense and the gold-covered Ark of the Covenant. This ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded, and the stone tablets of the covenant. Above the ark were the cherubim of the glory, overshadowing the atonement cover. But we cannot discuss these things in detail now. When everything had been arranged like this, the priests entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry, but only the high priest entered the inner room, and that was only once a year and never without blood, which he offered for himself and the sins of the people they had committed in ignorance." The Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was still functioning. This is an illustration for the present time, indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. They are only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings, external regulations applying until the time of the new order. But when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands, that is to say is not a part of this creation and he did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, so obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean, sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. And may God add his blessing upon his truth. Amen. Now, I encourage you to keep that passage open. We're going to be making reference to it. Uh, Depending on what comes into my mind as I go through this, I may go back into Exodus uh, as well. But in preparation for today, one of the writers that I, I was reading Uh, asked the question and he said, are you an adventurer or a homebird? Now, if you're familiar with the Disney movie Up, you'll know exactly what that's about. And that's basically uh, characterizing this old man who had dreams about being an adventurer and yet he just stayed at home and he missed out on the time when he had to be an adventurer. So by an adventurer, are you the sort of person who loves to go into the great outdoors? Are you maybe perhaps wanting to explore new cities, see new sights, taste unusual foods? Or in contrast, are you someone who would rather sit at home with a bag of chilly heatwave Doritos on the sofa? Whichever you are, there is still something special about home. Because home is the place, and maybe even the process of coming home, because that's the place that's familiar. There is a a certain security and safety in that, and there's there's a joy in being able to do that where you just feel safe. And the writer that I was reflecting on just this week saying that there's, there's something significant about that. And there's something that these chapters of Exodus, which are describing the tabernacle, are explaining and it's pointing us to our final destination, our final home, which is heaven itself. And so the, the motif by which we might even describe what the tabernacle really is is, is that the tabernacle, as well as showing home in that sense, but it's also a map. The way it's laid out is that it is a road map showing you how to get home, which is that nearer presence of God, being with God. Ultimately, of course, we find that in heaven. And so today I'm going to invite you to go on a journey with me as we think about what this image, this motif of the tabernacle is really about, and perhaps even as we begin, and to see the importance of what the tabernacle really is. It's not every day maybe when you're out in coffee and you're having a conversation and that conversation over coffee, that that would ordinarily descend into the significance of blood sacrifice and what that's about and the rules and the rituals of the Old Testament. But that this is really important in the Old Testament, in the whole of the Bible. And if I put it in this context, the tabernacle is mentioned in 50 50 chapters of the Bible there are 400 references to the tabernacle in the Bible. And if you put that in context, creation is dealt with in two chapters. The tabernacle takes 50. So this whole notion is incredibly significant. And ultimately, as I'm trying to say, it's pointing us to our final destination, our final home. It's pointing us to what God has done for us in Jesus. And it's thankful for what his his blood sacrifice has done for us. So I'm going to go on this journey. I'm going to maybe try and paint the the image of what the tabernacle is. I'm going to make it easy for you. And I'm going to show you the, the representation of what the tabernacle, as it is described in those three chapters in Exodus, because it's very clearly Uh, minutely detailed so that this is how it was to be made and remembering that the people of Israel were on a journey for 40 years in the wilderness but every time they they camped and they sat down for a while and they were in one place they built the tabernacle and they built it exactly the same way and so that it had this representation. So if you're outside the, the area of the, the wider area of the tabernacle. The first thing that you would have seen is the the linen um, sheets, which marked out the the perimeter of the the wider tabernacle area, and those linen sheets were to be made of white linen, and which again has is trying to impress the idea that this is about the holiness of God, the fact that God is different and that God is is somewhat separate from from the people. But ultimately, you do have to remember that what the tabernacle is really about is trying to get the answer is how this God, remember just, just last week, we were thinking about this majestic, holy, utterly different God who, at this point was on the top of the mountain in smoke and lightning and fury, but how this God might come and dwell among his people, because that is what God wants to do. And that's the struggle of the tabernacle. And so even when you've got this large area, and again, it's significant so that you see that those linen sheets were seven and a half foot high, The width of the perimeter was 75 feet and it was 150 feet long. So it is suggesting otherness. It is suggesting holiness. And the fact that there was one entrance, you see the entrance curtain on the right-hand side there, and it was there that the Levites, the priests, camped out. It was there that Moses camped out, and that was the only way you could get in. And so... The struggle always is, you've got this holy God who wants to be among his people, but immediately it is saying that you can't just walk in at any time that you like. You cannot treat God casually. And that's why when you actually did go in to the area, the first thing that you see when you walk in is the bronze or the brazen altar. And again, there were very specific rules about the way in which that was to be made. It was a structure made of acacia wood, and it was then covered with a layer of bronze, not made of solid bronze, but wood covered in bronze. And you might ask, well, why would it be made like that? I think there's probably a couple of reasons. Uh, First of all, they didn't have much metal. They just left Egypt and they were wandering about. And more significantly, knowing the fact that they're going to be moving about, this was the portable tabernacle, it couldn't be too heavy because it had to be carried. So a wooden structure covered with bronze is a thing that is easier to carry. But... Remember I was saying it's about a journey getting closer to God? And that was represented by the fact that the closer you got to the most significant bit in the tabernacle is that the precious metals got more expensive. So it starts with bronze, and then you go a little bit closer towards the, the actual, described there as the temple or the actual tabernacle proper. Uh, things in there started to get more expensive. They started to use silver, they started to use gold. So the closer, as it were, you got towards God, the more expensive these things became. But the altar, what's the purpose of the altar? Obviously it's for sacrifices, but if I describe it like this, you go to anyone's house, and what, the first thing that you normally see outside the house or just in through the door is the doormat. And what's the purpose of a doormat? The doormat is to immediately get you to think about your dirty feet. And the fact that these idiots who are coming to your house, before they come in and make a proper mess, they should be wiping their feet. They should be getting rid of the worst of the contamination. So that's what the altar is really about. It's saying that you're coming in here to want to meet God. God wants to meet you, but you are a sinner. And you are immediately then remembering that you need to get your sins forgiven. You need to get put right in that sense. So this is the area into which you might say the common 5-8, the normal Israelite, is able to come. He's able to come as far as the bronze altar. You were able to come, but you could go no further. Going into the actual tabernacle, it was reserved off its it's excluded to the average person. I'm going to bring another little picture now, which begins to look inside what the tabernacle itself was actually made of. And there's a lot of things there about the coverings and what was inside it, the furniture that was there. And there were different layers over it and how it was to be made. Basically, it was flat roof and there were uh, all sorts of materials that were actually covering what this tabernacle was And of course, what you will notice is that even the size was very definitely determined in these chapters of Exodus. So that two thirds of the first area as you walked in, two thirds of that area was the area where the priests worked and they carried out their priestly functions. But at the end of that, for the final third, it was barricaded off, as it were, by another curtain and there were even details about what the curtain was to be made of and what was to be embroidered upon the curtains but it is described as sorry the first the two-thirds area is the holy place but this final area where the ark of the covenant was was the most holy place and even the size of it was to be very definitely determined and it was described as a perfect cube It is 10 cubits long, 10 cubits wide, 10 cubits high. What's that about? Is that ultimately what this is saying is that this is where the presence of God on earth is, is pictorially represented. And ultimately, it is looking forward to heaven itself because this is the most wonderful way in which we find that the Bible is one big story and how it all unites and, and gets together. If you were to open your Bibles at Revelation chapter 21 and verse 16, you would see that the dimensions of the city of Jerusalem, again, a picture of heaven is described there. And the way that that city is described is again as a perfect cube, 12,000 stadia. And it's a perfect cube, the same length, the same height, the same width. So what this is trying to represent is the presence of God, how men and women might make their way towards God and towards his nearer presence. Now, we don't even have time to think about the, the, the furniture that's in there, the lampstand, the table of the showbread, and, and all those sorts of things. But I'm just going to think about how a box in the middle of the tabernacle itself, the ark, because that's what it is. It's, it, it's a box made of acacia wood, covered in gold, how that might represent God's presence on earth. And I think we answer that by saying what's inside it. Because most importantly, what is inside that box are the two stone tablets upon which God inscribed the 10 commandments, his word, his law. Which is a reminder, of course, to us, if we are wanting to encounter God today, that the way in which we do that is that we encounter God through his word, through his truth, how he has revealed himself to us. But the problem still is no matter how much we want to encounter God, no matter how much we want to hear God, no matter how much we want to obey the word of God, the law of God, is that we are sinners. And we can't keep the word of God because we keep on failing. Which is why that box in the middle of the most holy place was covered with gold. And the seat of it, the top of it had a special name and it was called the mercy seat. And it was on that mercy seat between the two gold cherubim that the high priest went into the most holy place. And he went in just once a year and he went into this place once a year to sprinkle blood on the mercy seat as a sign and a testimony that God can wipe away sins, and it was only ever possible by the shedding of blood. So if we're reading in the book of Hebrews, if we're reading in Exodus, we are understanding, reading in Leviticus, because life is in the blood, and the blood must be shed so that forgiveness of sins is possible. And thinking about then the, the high priest going into the most holy place and remembering all the other priests are with him and he goes into that, past that curtain once a year and he's in there in the very nearer presence of God and there's silence and they can't hear what's happening. The rest of the priests would have been anxious and even as you read in the New Testament and what's happening in the temple, you've got that same sense. They're still wondering, will the high priest come out of God's presence, because they were so anxious and so worried about him. But ultimately, what this whole picture is about, it's about telling you how you can get to God. It's telling you how your sins can be forgiven. And it's doing that in a very imperfect way, because ultimately what it's really pointing to is Jesus. And why Jesus is so much better. And the best way I think that we can describe what the tabernacle is really about is comparing it to a child playing with toy money. Now most children fully understand that those plastic coins that they have are completely useless. And that they will never buy anything real. But that's not to say that there's not merit in playing with toy money. Because it's able to communicate to them the value of things so that they begin to learn that so many coins, they're able to buy this. And so it is pointing them to how real money is used. And so the tabernacle, while it's not a toy is ultimately pointing us to what Jesus Christ is going to do for us and what the writer to the Hebrews actually does. And that passage that we have read here is that it is pointing and telling us why Jesus is so much better than what the Old Testament tabernacle and the temple was then ultimately based on the same drawings, as it were, just larger, a proportionately larger building But even the temple couldn't do what Jesus did. And what Hebrews is saying, this is why Jesus is better. And if you want reasons why Jesus is better, well, here's three reasons from the book of Hebrews why Jesus is better. First of all, and the first reason is that the tabernacle, even the temple, was only an earthly thing. But Jesus is better because he gives us the heavenly reality what it's really about the tabernacle was here it's gone even the temple it was here and it's gone but what jesus has done will never disappear Christ Jesus is better. Hebrews 9 verse 11 is reminding us why Jesus is better. When Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. So the great theme of even what this tabernacle is about is that it is pointing us to what Jesus has done and that Jesus has made all this possible. Down to verse 24. Of Hebrews chapter 9. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself now to appear for us in God's presence. So what Jesus has done pointing us to heaven is better than this earthly thing. Now Jesus was also described in, in the verses that we have been reading as like a high priest because the high priest again was a picture of what Jesus Christ has done for us. But the New Testament says Jesus is the best, the better, the perfect high priest. And why is Jesus the better, the perfect high priest? It's because the high Priests in the Old Testament, no matter who they were, they died. And as soon as one died, they had to get another one. And after he died, they had to get another one. It wasn't a long lasting answer. But we know that Jesus Lives forever, and that Jesus offered the perfect sacrifice. Not only did it, the high priest, they had to do this every year, every day of atonement, they had to go in there, they had to shine, spread and sprinkle that blood. But we know that what Jesus did, Jesus did on the cross once and for all, never to be repeated. Verse 14, Hebrews chapter nine, how much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, now cleanse our conscience from acts that lead to death so that we may serve God. See what the Old Testament blood of animals being sacrificed couldn't do is that they couldn't cleanse your conscience. Ultimately, every Old Testament uh, follower They always carried the guilt that it was never enough, but the New Testament says what Jesus has done is perfect and complete and final. You can look at all the furniture that was in the tabernacle, but the one piece of furniture that you will not find in the tabernacle was a seat. And the reason you will not find a seat in the tabernacle is because the high priest's job was never done. He couldn't sit down and say to himself, I've done my job because he knew that he or somebody else would need to come next year. But if I read Hebrews chapter 10, And verse 12, you can turn there with me, it says, But when this priest had offered for all time, thinking about Jesus, one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. See, Jesus' sacrifice is complete. It's final. And it is for you. You don't need to be anxious about your sins. I mean, do you really know this today and feel that Jesus Christ has cleansed your conscience and that you don't need to carry that burden of sin and shame and, and all that that is wrong in your life because you believe what Jesus Christ has done is full. And I think another reason, the, diff- the, the biggest reason even possibly, the difference between the Old Testament tabernacle and what Jesus has done as I've been saying repeatedly, is that the high priest went in once a year, and he could it was only him, and only once a year. But you know that when Jesus died on the cross, one of the most significant events and the happenings of those strange moments is that when Jesus breathed his last, if we read the end of the gospel accounts, it says that the curtain—that's the curtain picture two-thirds of the way through the tabernacle, separating the most holy place. But when Jesus died on the cross, that curtain was torn in two from top to bottom. And the significance of that is that the way into God's nearer presence isn't restricted. It's not just down to one person once a year, but the way is fully open because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And so what This is all about is saying that the way to God is open for you. You can come into God's nearer presence, fully assured of the forgiveness of sins that Christ has won for you, because it is all because of Jesus. And so today I simply ask you do you know this? Are you convinced of this? Do you really deeply know? your conscience being cleansed because of what Christ has done for you. He has sat down at the right hand of God. That work is finished. It is complete. It is done. It is yours. Yet in reality, we have been thinking of this picture of the the motif of the tabernacle. It's, It's a map that is showing you the way to heaven. It's showing you into God's nearer and closest presence, and it's reminding you that heaven is our home. It's our home. This is what you were made for. This is the longing that God has placed within your heart. And that's why you long to be with God, because God has placed that within you. And if you feel at times disordered and disquiet and wondering how you can get peace, it's because God has purposefully put this disquiet within you that you know you can only find this satisfaction in God himself. And so the tabernacle, what we've been reading today, is a roadmap that's pointing you to a relationship with God that is found in God and God alone, but it also shows you how it is possible. It's possible because of what Jesus has done. It's possible for God to be with men and women. And it's only possible because God has shown what he has done with your sin. And it's only possible because of Jesus. And that's why, and I lay it out there with you again, if you don't know Jesus Christ, if you are not convinced that Jesus is my Savior, that the blood of Christ cleanses my sin and wipes my guilt clear and free, this is what Jesus has done for you. And Jesus says, come and come home. That's the reality. That's the joy and the certainty. We're going to stand and sing at this point. It's a song Harry was saying at the beginning. We haven't sung this song as a congregational piece. You've heard it on a number of occasions. And the reason I've chosen this song as to, with which to conclude our service today is because of that strong motif that's in here of home of finding that place and that certainty and that joy of knowing this is the place that God is calling me to. This is where I find my satisfaction. This is the day.